0: let's pray heavenly father as we gather around your word this morning draw us closer to you draw us into relationship with you help us to hear of your great love for us and your longing for us to live the life you longed for us to have and help us to trust you and step into that In Jesus name we pray. Amen. A number of years ago I was chatting with a friend about football. In particular about problems at the club he supports. They'd just sacked their manager. You know football fans can be quite fickle and when things start to go wrong for the team they can turn on the manager quite easily. But in fairness Things had been going pretty badly for his club. But I was more interested in the nature of his criticism. It wasn't about the tactics, the team selection, the transfer policy or anything like that. It wasn't about the players he'd bought or who he'd left on the bench when they were 2-0 down. His complaint was that the manager was a Christian, which wasn't a bad thing of itself. his problem was that he was trying to bring god into the dressing room now i've looked and i've never found anything to back that up but the nature of the complaint interested me and then he added and i quote andrew i'm sure even a god squatter like you has to agree that there is no room for religion on the football field Sport's not the only field where we get this kind of thinking. In 2003, the then PM Tony Blair was being interviewed by Vanity Fair magazine to mark his 50th birthday. The conversation began to turn towards Blair's religious beliefs and their impact on his political views. At which point the Downing Street spin doctor, Alistair Campbell, shut down the topic with a quote that's become famous in its own right. We don't do God. Uh, Once Blair wanted to end the Prime Minister address with the words, God bless Britain, and was talked out of it by his aides. One civil servant apparently told him, may I remind you, Prime Minister, this is not America. And from time to time I come across debates in the media about, say, how faith groups shouldn't be involved in schools, Bibles shouldn't be left in hotel rooms, all that kind of stuff. It's the same sort of argument. There's no place for religion here. We don't do God. A significant feature of our culture is the way in which we compartmentalise different parts of our lives. We operate in different spheres work, home, church, and we think nothing of having a different set of behaviours and values for each. That's just how our culture seems to operate. Now, I'm not someone Who has a lot of sympathy for talk of how Britain is a Christian country or who expects Christianity to have any kind of privileged place in our society. The influence of Christianity on our society and culture is way more positive and far-reaching than is ever recognised but I still don't think it makes sense to apply the adjective Christian to anything other than a person or at the very most a faith community. It doesn't make any sense to add to something like music or books or countries. I'm a Baptist by conviction and from our earliest times we have been supporters of freedom of thought, faith, expression. We have historically been suspicious of state and church getting too close. With good reason, the one time Baptist did become a state church. It didn't end well. And yet, when we declare Jesus as Lord, we don't set limits on that. It should shape how I approach all of life. But even as I say that, I ask myself, can I honestly say, that I do live all of life aware of God and seeking and welcoming his involvement. Or does God come across no-go areas in my life? Are there big parts of my life with a bolt on the door and a big keep-out-do-not-disturb sign? Whatever we might say, does the way we live our lives suggest that we think that there is a time and place for God and for faith? Are there places or arenas where we don't do God? Because oddly, even though many people might want us to keep our faith private and not bring it into certain environments, they soon notice and talk about us having principles when it suits us, if we do. And I guess that's one lesson that I believe Simon Peter, or Peter as I will refer to him for the rest of this talk, learnt in today's reading. Often Peter's call to follow Jesus is presented as an almost random or instantaneous event. Jesus is walking along a shore and he calls Peter, Andrew, James and John to lay down their nets and follow this teacher they've never met before. And you could read Matthew and Mark and get that impression. But it looks like this isn't the first time Jesus had met Peter. If we had only just started a few verses earlier in chapter, the end of chapter 4, we would have seen Jesus had already been in Peter's house. He had healed Peter's mother-in-law. This was the first of a series of healings in Capernaum. And these healings, along with his teaching, had the crowds flocking to him as we picked up the reading it's kind of possible that Jesus wanted to preach without the distraction of being continually jostled by a crowd. Maybe he just wants as many people as possible to be able to hear him so he creates some distance in between him and the crowd so he can project over them. Jesus comes across a couple of boats one of them belonging to Peter and Peter along with his colleagues is just in from a very unsuccessful nights fishing. They're cleaning their nets, preparing them to go out again the next night. And as Jesus steps onto Peter's boat and asks him to put out a little bit from shore so he can preach, perhaps Peter's thinking, "Well, okay, one good turn deserves another. It's the least he can do after Jesus has healed his mother-in-law." And besides, it's no inconvenience to him. He's going to be around for a while cleaning up and. Even better, this Jesus is a super speaker, so he can, he can listen whilst he's finishing off the night's work. Nah, just as it was fine when Jesus came to his house as a healer, things are fine as long as Jesus wants to use his boat for a pulpit. Preaching and healing, that's Jesus' business. Just like fishing is Peter's. But all that's about to change. As Jesus concludes his preaching for the day, as Peter finishes cleaning his net, tidying up and as he prepares to go home for a disappointed but probably well-earned sleep, Jesus suggests let's go out again. Let's pull out a bit further, let's head into the deep water and let down the nets for another catch." Be careful not to let hindsight add too much reverence to Peter's answer. We know the end of this story, Peter doesn't. So far as Peter is concerned, here we have the carpenter turned preacher telling an extremely tired fisherman how to fish. And we all just know how much we absolutely love someone coming along and telling us how to do our job. Those of you who work in health, social services, skills, doesn't it just make your day when the government is you a whole range of directives changing how you have to do everything? And it's not even as if Jesus seems to give good advice. Fishing was something that was done in the dark. If, if they'd been out all night and caught nothing, chances were they weren't going to improve in broad daylight. And yet, somehow, to Peter's credit, he finds it within himself to obey, to make the one last effort to take the chance that Jesus knows what he's doing. And the results speak for themselves. In fact, the resultant catch is nearly too good. It nearly sinks the boats, which itself wouldn't have been particularly good for business. But having taken that first step out in faith, having been prepared to go into the deep with Jesus, Peter realises that this Jesus is someone with whom he can trust every part of him. He's not just a teacher or a healer. Now it's not even just in Peter's business because he's about to leave all of that behind. No, he can trust Jesus with the whole lot, the whole shebang. Peter's story could have been so different. The tired fisherman could have politely told Jesus to get lost. Okay, Jesus, I'm grateful you healed my mother-in-law. You're welcome to use my boat to teach any time, but let's just leave the fishing to me, okay? Oh, we could have done that. And his life would have been so different. And he could have continued to be wowed by all the great stuff Jesus did in and around his village without it ever really affecting him personally. He could have passed on stories to his children and grandchildren as Peter and co went on to be a nice little learner. He could tell them about that great rabbi that came to town and taught great things about God and did amazing things. He might even have been able to tell them how this Jesus had used his boat as a pulpit. And he could even have told them how this Jesus had invited him to come and follow him and learn from him. But nah, a bishop is a life for him. The road ahead wasn't going to be easy. When Jesus invited them to come and follow me, he didn't say where he was going or why. They just had to follow. I bet you, if you had asked Peter in his final days, he'd have told you he was glad he did drop everything and follow. Peter had a choice, he could have kept Jesus on the fringes of life, he appreciated what he had done for him, he was happy to help when it suited, he allowed Jesus to take him a little bit out from the shore, but all of life was transformed When he took Jesus at his word, trusted him, and allowed Jesus to launch him out into the deep. How far will we allow our involvement with Jesus to go? Because we too can keep him on the fringes of life. It's possible to assign Christ a specific role in our life, maybe file him under S for Sundays. Or to borrow a term from the science world, we can make him a God of the gaps, a figure of last resort, somebody to be turned to when all the other options are exhausted and we can't help ourselves. It's possible to try and restrict God to what we think his job should be to give him a time and place when yeah that's the sort of stuff god knows best whilst all the time maintaining our independence and all of the rest of life we could have him close by we might even be prepared to offer our services when we potter about on the edges of the shore but what if jesus wants more What if he wants us to launch out into the deep with him? Not just stick with what we know, what we're comfortable with. Not just keep him in the obviously gaudy bits of life. But to trust him, even in those areas where we think we've got it sussed. Especially when it shakes up our expectations. Do we truly believe Jesus' teaching applies to our everyday situations? Does the impact of God on our lives linger beyond the benediction, into Monday and the week ahead? Does it shape how we approach our job, our relationships with partners, our, our families, and the way we use our leisure time? i don 't think there's a right answer to the question, how would Jesus vote? but did the cross of Jesus Christ have any part to play on where you put the cross on a ballot paper this week because this is what Jesus wants to be for each one of us. Not because he wants to control us, making us into some kind of religious clone. Rather, Christ longs to launch us out into the deep, to bring the fullness of his salvation to every aspect of life. He longs for us to acknowledge him in his lordship, in the daily gifts of the sun and the rain, the food and clothing, the life and breath we possess, the blessings of the everyday, not just the massive obvious spiritual stuff, as we live in the here and die he wants to shape each part of us so that we are ready and prepared for the heaven he has for us or perhaps you're aware of what Jesus has done for others you know a close friend a family member You might be like one of those people on the shore that day. You see this all happening from a distance. You might even have hung around the fringes of this for a long time. But you've never allowed Jesus to affect your life personally. Perhaps today he wants to make that connection personal with you. To allow him to come out of the box and be with you in all of life, to take you from the shore and launch you out into the deep with him. And will we do that as a church? As we emerge from this season when we have been separate and so much of our activity has been put on hold when we evaluate what God might want of us as we enter a new chapter of our life as a faith community? Are we going to just stick to what we know, the tried and tested? Or are we prepared to trust him Will we allow ourselves to be launched into new ways of serving, trusting him for the results? Oh, it won't happen if we won't let him. I won't lie to you. It's not easy and I certainly can't promise you instant results or even the ones that you think we need. And it requires faith. Even when sometimes it seems to fly in the face of what we think we know. For Peter to cast his nets out one last time and sleep must have been a far more attractive and productive option it just seemed like madness and yet in allowing himself to be launched into the deep he found himself transformed for each of us that challenge will be different but the question is will our answer be the same Because, brothers and sisters this is the place and this is the time here and now God waits to break into our experience to change our minds to change our lives to change our ways to make us see the whole of what the world and the whole of life in a new light To fill us with hope, joy and certainty for the future. This is the place as are all places. This is the time as are all times. Here and now, may we rise and follow Christ. Grace and peace to you.